ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. times it was the worst of times it was the age of wisdom it was the age of foolishness it was the epoch of belief it was the epoch of incredulity it was the season of light it was the season of darkness it was the spring of hope it was the winter of disrepair not disrepair despair i fucked it right at the end last word Corey. jesus of course i, I thought you're gonna go it was the best of times it was the blurst of times you stupid <laughs> monkey <laughs> Ah, uh, good old uh, Dickens. He's a, he's a good lad, Mr. Dickens. Um, anyway, this is not a Charles Dickens podcast. It's not? Um, Shit. It's not a Tale of Two Cities podcast. It's a Ultimate Catalog Clash where myself, Kevin Brown, and my co-host, Corey Morissette, take on the discography of one artist per season to find out which record will emerge as the best in that catalog. Each episode sees us review the songs on one side of one album, awarding 10 points for music, 10 for lyrics, and 5 for production. And at the end of the episode, Corey and I will each have a score out of 25 to award to that side of the album. Once we've done both sides, we of course then will have a combined score out of 100. Um, and in the case of double albums, we do a little bit of aggregation, which is the case for the album that we're reviewing right now. Um, once we have all the albums rated, we'll know which one comes out on top, and then we get to decide with our, our good friend Scott Haskin who gets to pick the artist for season three. So today we're covering side C, or side three, of Metallica's 1991 self-titled album as we are covering their 90s output. How are you doing today, Corey? You know, I, I'm doing fantastic. A uh, little uh, peek behind the curtain. We're recording this right before Christmas, so I'm on uh, Christmas break. Uh, Kevin's on Christmas break. We we got our we got our, our, our uh, libations uh, going here tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun. I'm using my new uh, uh, Rodecaster Pro 2, uh, which is a tremendous, tremendous unit, especially for, for podcasters. I love, I, I'm an old school audio guy. I like having faders. And how I was doing it before, I was trying to like do audio, you know, mix audio and shit uh, on a desktop. As I was going like okay, VLC, I got to turn the audio down a little bit. And it, just, it was so clunky. I fucking hated it. So now I, I got this beautiful Rodecaster. Uh, one of the things I can do with the Rodecaster, though, is I, I got a bank of, uh, of, of sound effects going here. Uh, and I, I grabbed a, a few different ones uh, from Metallica, and I thought, uh, in honor of this, we're recording this, I think, the day after uh, Torben Ulrich died. Torben Ulrich is the father of Lars Ulrich, uh, 95 years young. Like uh, To quote Kevin Smith, what a big bucket of win. Like, good on you, sir, for hanging around this mortal coil for that fucking long. I don't think I have the strength to do it. But um, he also has the distinction of having some of the best lines in any music documentary ever. And one of my favorite documentary scenes. Have you? You haven't seen some kind of monster yet, have you? I haven't watched it yet. No. Okay, I'm going to spoil a little bit because at one point the band's on a break. Lars is with his dad, uh, and and he plays him a little bit of Saint Anger, uh, the album. And I, I don't remember which track, but it's fucking atrocious. Like it's really, really bad. <laughs> and 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 Torben's uh, quote, I'll never forget it, was this. I would say, delete that. Yeah, yeah just delete that. It, <laughs> He, he had another one, though. Later on, he said... For, for me, it doesn't cut it, you know. It, it just doesn't get... <laughs> and, and, and Lars is sitting there crestfallen, and he goes, that's actually in the running for the first single. <laughs> wow. Should listen to his dad more often, you know? Exactly. Like, everybody... Instead, instead of Bob Rock, get him as a co-producer. <laughs> everybody fell in love with Torben Ulrich because of that, because of... I would say, delete that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think, Dad? I would say, just delete that, because... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, fair play to him. Oh, it's what, Love it. it. And then Lars would say, Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is not good. This new toy that Corey's got is going to wreak havoc with this show. He can also censor me. So anytime I say Corey, it's a fucking... Oh, you missed you, missed you. I was queuing you in there. It's on a different page. Let's do it again. <laughs> hey, Corey, what I think of you is... <laughs> this is not good, folks. This is not good. Oh, no, there, there, there's some very good stuff on here. Uh, uh, here whenever we get fighting, I'm going to play this. You know what, guys? Why don't we just go in there and just hammer it out, all right, instead of hammering on each other? Right? Like... <laughs> that, that, oh, that, that, that's Kirk Hammett being the lukewarm Kirk, water. Yeah. yeah. But I, I love this one. This is a perfect James response to Lars. I'm used to having the drummer do the beat part. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, there's a great section where, uh, you know, Kirk and James are trying to play a riff, and, and Lars is doing this fucking offbeat thing that's just terrible, and that's when he says, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of used to the drummer doing the beat part. Like, I don't know what the fuck that was. Well, I'm just, I'm just trying to do something fucking interesting, you know? You guys are playing fucking this plain Jane. I'm just trying to put, you know, they just went off on one. I'm like, dude. That's what he no. said. Just hold the beat together. Like, that's all you got to do there. No, that, that's what he said. The guitars, the guitars were kind of stock, so I was trying to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you? <laughs> hey, keep that handy. Yeah. <laughs> for tonight's recording. So. <laughs> no, I, I I got it on the ready, and then it, 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 if we don't like Lars, we'll play this. So when you go and sue Napster, you little Danish twat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is making my life so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my life is so much better that you did the Lars Ulrich impression that you busted out in the latest uh, Seaside Pod review uh, from those uh, killer cartoons. Napster uh, bad, Metallica yeah. good. It's so funny, man. He just cr- I mean, those cartoons were so good. And the, just the characterization of, of James, I mean, it's completely unfair, obviously. Oh, 100%. Um, no, the Lars one is a little more fair. <laughs> well, and he's kind of a little... Fucking Weasley little monkey yeah, sometimes, little right? Danish so, twat. What's that from? Th- that's actually Russell Brand, which I I, I feel oh, dirty God. putting a Russell Brand impression. He, he was it was a sketch or some show or something where that Lars Ulrich was on or from a movie. Maybe it was Get Him to the Greek. I think actually now that I think about it, and, okay. and Lars had a cameo in it, and and he was like you know getting on Russell Brand's case like why don't you go sue Napster you little Danish twat? Marvel <laughs> side three, Corey. We're doing um you know. We're getting into the meat of it now. We've we've done side one and side two, and it surprised me a little bit because you know as we we went through on the first episode, I'm not a huge Metallica fan. I don't know this catalogue. Not a metal guy really, and as, as you said, you're not either really too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that like side one and side two, there was one song I really liked. One song I was like, man, eh, it's okay, I don't mind it. And then one song I didn't like. So heading into side three, I was curious to see if that trend would continue. I tell you, it's interesting because uh, let, let's recap uh, side A and B because we had to average side A. Inside B. So uh, my side A, B total was 23 out of 25. I really like uh, the, the first two sides of, of the Black Album, which is the first album we're doing here. Uh, it's only the biggest fucking album in the SoundScan era. Uh, one of the biggest selling albums of all time. Uh, you're, uh, you were down a little bit more. You're 19 and a half out of 25. Uh, so I was 92%. You were 78%. That gives us a grand total of 42 and a half out of 50 for side A and B, which is 85%. So, so far, so good, I would say, on... Uh, yeah, uh, on the first LP, I guess, of the double LP of uh, the Black Album. Well, and that's where, you know, traditionally you would front load an album. And so you'd think that side B might go down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, side, or side B or side C or whatever side we're doing. But it's 
the sequencing on this album, when I want to talk about that next week when we wrap up side four, because I find the sequencing on this album really, really interesting. Like I said, because you're not front-loading all the big hitters. All the singles aren't one, two, three, four, you know. So, I, I, like I said, I think that's an interesting choice that they made there. So, Oh, yeah, and they, they save a big one uh, for side C, which is what we're covering here tonight. It's uh, one of their biggest songs of all time, actually, is on this side coming up. Good grief. There we go. <laughs> what a what an amateur fucking hack! I was muted there, folks. I'm trying to talk to Corey, and he just couldn't hear me. I, I just thought I fucked up something on the road again. I'm like, what did I do? Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> you look at that. I mean, we're just looking here, at Corey. Though we've got loaded up on Apple Music, um, oh, sorry, YouTube Music. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at 836 million plays for Enter Sandman, um, and then we drop down. So the first song we're doing on this side is Through the Never. That's only 1.6. So there's a huge variance. In yeah. the popularity of the songs on this record. I know, but uh, look at the track after Through the Never. You're at 1.7 billion. 1.7 billion. With, with, with a B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then the, the next one is 12 million. So, yeah, there's, <laughs> there, there is quite a variance. It's, it, it's like if you put on Appetite for Destruction, nobody's talking about Anything Goes. Even though I really like that song, that's the song yep. nobody talks about. When you put on, going back to season one, if you're listening to Invisible Touch, uh, you know, no, nobody's talking about um, anything she does. Yeah, agreed. All right, so um, I'm, I was actually uh, I was actually uh, impressed that that you graded sides A and B as high as you did. I, I thought they they would actually be lower. Uh, I have less faith uh, in, in the next couple of episodes just because we're getting some deeper album cuts, but we're also getting one of their biggest hits. So really curious. And there's actually one song here uh, that you know, there's one song that has some proggy elements that I'm wondering if you're going to like a little more. And there's one that's more punk rock that I, I, I wonder if Kevin's kind of a punk guy. Like I, I'm definitely not a punk guy. I like green day. Uh, if you can consider them like pop punk, I guess uh, they're okay. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know, the sex pistols and shit like that, I never got into sex pistols. That's just noise, man. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't mind attitude in music, but you still need musicality as well. You, you can do melody. both. Right. Yeah. And that's what I like about green day. There's melody. They actually take a lot of like old fifties, uh, music melodies, which is what I grew up on because my mom was a big into Elvis and Ricky Nelson and yeah. whoever else from that era, right? So when you hear a song like Jesus of Suburbia, it's got almost like a doo-wop feel to it. I'm like, okay, I can get into that. And it's got some guitars yeah. and it's kind of cool. But yeah, Sex Pistols is just, oh my Lord, I don't know. Have you ever seen, Corey, um, there was a, oh man, what's the name? See, uh, see, CTV, no, what's the name of the Canadian uh, comedy show, Jesus. Which one? SCTV. 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 Yes. Well, you, the sketch where you should have John said who's Candy the best and, one. Yes, <laughs> John Candy and and um, Martin Short doing a riff on the Sex Pistols. Oh, really? They, and they uh, oh my god, it's amazing. We'll oh, have to watch it later when we when we come off. You remember not that long ago, I played you a, a clip from Mel's Rock Pile of the Queen Haters, which is very much their their punk rock group, right? John Candy was the drummer. He was bald, had a big chain earring, and just sat there stone faced while he was drumming. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, you're right. And That's Martin Short is singing, I want to drown the queen off the coast of Argentine. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yep, the queen oh, haters Lord. from Mel's Rock Pile. God, SCTV. I, I always wanted to do uh, an SCTV watch-along podcast because I don't think enough people get, uh, appreciate the brilliance of SCTV. I mean, you're talking John Candy, uh, Harold Ramis, uh, Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, Martin Short, Angie Martin, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy. Like The, the cast is just insane. It's almost, you know, they use that word lots of like a murderer's role. Well, I mean, that's what that, I mean, that word, that phrase was de- designed for that cast. Yeah. It's just insane how much talent there was in that cast. And they had like no budget, no money. All they had was a studio and airtime. And they just yeah. went off. <laughs> it's so fucking good. 
the, the funniest sketch I still have ever seen in my entire life is a Battle of the PBS Stars that featured John Candy as Julia Child boxing Mr. Rogers, played by Martin Short. And it's and Hugh G. Levy is Howard Cosell calling it. And I had tears running down my face. I was laughing so hard. Yeah, my favorite is the Halfwits. Oh, yes, Halfwits. Righto, Alex. We have a considerable difficulty finishing high school. <laughs> We'd love to have you by the house, Alex. Oh, good Lord. We're getting sidetracked here, Corey. <laughs> you, you started it. You brought up SCTV. I did start it. Come on. Metallica. Let's talk Metallica. We were talking Side C tonight. Uh, we got three tracks on this one. Through the Never, Nothing Else Matters, and Of Wolf and Man. What do you say? Should we play some music? Let's do it. All right. Uh, this is the uh, first track on Side C. Uh, played 248 times live. This is Through the Never. <laughs> Now, right off the hop, uh, both of you and I said we're not really big punk guys, but I kind of got a punk vibe uh, from this intro. What did you think? Yeah, well, because I mean, my understanding is that Metallica used to listen to a lot of hardcore punk, and so it doesn't, you know, that you can see where that has its roots, and even some of the tracks that I do know on those earlier albums sound a bit more like this than they do, you know, like Enter Sandman or Sad But True. They they sound more like that era. Um, it's and that's the thing with punk, and it's the thing with this riff. I find it very repetitive. And it's just a bit sort of, okay, is it going anywhere? Like, are we going to move this along? And then we get that big start three times. It's like, okay, well, I think probably should, let's just let's just get this moving. You know, let's see. Let's go somewhere else with this now. Yeah. Uh, re- repetitive is a word I used quite a bit uh, in, in my notes for this one. Uh, and Bob Rock even was not a fan of this one uh, off the hop. I found a quote from Bob Rock about this uh, song. He said, uh, it took me a, a while to realize what was good in Through the Never, but once I did, I realized that it was quite good. And what's good is there's a bit of fiery punk rock vibe to it, a new shade, a new color that was exciting. Previously, I thought their influences were all metal, but talking to them and understanding that they had other sides to them really opened my eyes. Once I saw where they were coming from, the song made total sense. And then they had very uh, varied uh, uh, influences. Like, uh, you know, Lars is very big in a deep purple. That was one of his, like, big, big bands, right? And James was yep. really into Aerosmith. So, you know, in, you know, in punk rock and... and Scandinavian fucking metal and whatever else kind of went through their 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 uh, earphones at, at the time. It's really kind of weird, but yeah, um, punk, sure, repetitive. So this is, I'm sitting listening to this. I remember kind of, because I'd kind of forgotten this song, because I listened to this song a few times, or this album a few times weeks ago when we were starting to decide when we were going to do this, um, this band for this season. And I'd kind of forgotten this song. So when I was listening to it again yesterday, I'm making my notes, I'm like, I bet you when this, when they, this last stop now, I bet you it comes back in at halftime. They're going to slow it down again because they've been doing that on this album. And it's like, yeah, there it is. There it goes. Really predictable, that change, hey? Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. Um. Did you ever hear the the joke? I think they're on the Colbert uh, show, uh, right around the time that their uh, movie came out in 2013, called Metallica Through the Never. And Colbert asked them, "What is Through the Never? Beyond the Sideways?" 
And, and James really got a yeah. James really got a big kick out of that. I was I was going to ask you that. Is that have you seen that movie? I, I I haven't got it all the way through because I I, I couldn't get into it. Like uh, all the concert stuff, I dig because I, I like the album Death Magnetic and it was a cool stage show. Uh, but the the whole uh, I don't know like f- uh, film things with, with Dane DeHaan in it, I I just couldn't get into. I I wasn't really. A, I've never been a big fan of mixing a concert film with a film film and trying to make the, 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 the two mesh together. And I, I don't think yeah. it ever works. And I definitely don't think it worked here. When I was, cause I was reading about it and you know, James Hetfield, you know, cause I mean, it did it bombed, right? Like it didn't really, they lost like a, you know, a little bit on it. Yeah. Um, I think so they grossed uh 31.9 million against a $32 million budget. Just think about a $32 million budget. That's a big deal. But I guess James expressed his dissatisfaction over the movie's financial failure. Oh, yeah. Which I find interesting because, like, okay, when you're doing something like that, that's an artistic decision you're making. You really are always taking a chance that it's not going to be financially successful. But I think it was actually reviewed and received quite well by the critics. It who was. said that they thought that they actually kind of got it right. So it's an interesting. Uh, it's always interesting to me to see what the artist says. Okay, we didn't make any money on it, so it was shit. Well, and uh, eventually, I bet you they did because uh, after that, you have DVD sales and then Blu-ray sales, and you have ancillaries from airing it on. You know, you. Just- sell it to netflix or whatever uh, uh for streaming so they did you know make a buck on it you got to think too if it's a 35 million dollar budget you almost have to double that for marketing because there was a marketing campaign around that like it was released in theaters and yeah uh, concert films have never really done well in theaters though unless your name is taylor swift obviously she knocked it out of the park with her uh, thing she did yeah. this year but that was just a straight concert film but like um you know Z- zeppelin never had a big hit uh acdc uh, uh let there be rock uh overseas did quite well but here, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it did very well at all. So, uh, it, it was. I applaud Metallica for trying to revive kind of a dead genre in this, you know, concert film and theaters and, and putting a, a narrative to it. But uh, I, I just don't think it was that successful. I'm gonna check it out. So yeah, you know, chorus is fine. Uh, one one thing I do like about this song is the lyrics, and 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 and, and what it's kind of about. Uh, you know, exploring the limitations of man is is kind of the the theme, right? And you know, yeah. I, I I dig that, and I, I think lyrically, I think Dave, James does a good job with it. But then yeah, we then, then we go back in it, it's like okay, uh, we're a minute nineteen uh, into the song. I'm already sick of that part. Hundred percent. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> where where I was with it as well, and I'm less kind of up on the lyrics but i do like another thing that i've sort of been admiring and as i've got to know hetfield's writing is the way he's quite often very rhythmic with the way that he sort of sequences the words in especially in the chorus and i do like that all that is ever ever was like that because it's very staccato and it's got those big stops and the pushes i think that's really effective it's, that sounds cool i like that bit 100 but it's you know to this point it's like okay and then, and then, then we'll go back at the riff again. Ah, oh, fuck. Okay. I tell you, I, I can't. There is a song coming up where uh, that doesn't work. And it's the first time in this album where James's, uh, you know, pronunciation of those words or that's the, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't work for me. It's not this one, though. I, I, I'm with you. I kind of dig it too.
that second bit of the solo is probably my favorite bit of the song. When it when they go to the halftime and he starts playing that, it's a different tone. Lars puts a really nice little double kick fill in. It's like, yeah, perfect. That's great. But the start of the solo to me is like, it kind of sounds like any sort of generic 80s hair metal band with those pinched harmonics. It's just like, eh. Kirk Hammett can do so much more and this is just a bit stock is the word we've been using, right? So I think it's fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you? <laughs> I, I guess I, I appreciate the, the genre a, a little more. Yeah, uh, in, in that I, I really like the the beginning of the solo too. But yeah, the, the that second part of the solo, definitely my favorite part of the song too. That is so fucking killer, and I, I really liked what Lars was doing there too, uh, and I like what James is doing too. Just you know, playing the rhythm and how he would you know take take it down an octave, take it up an octave. Like you know, it had different layers to it. Uh, it it yeah. really worked for me all all the way through. And, and now we're kind of getting to, to a section where they really kind of get heavy with it. Yeah, see, when I listen to Metallica, I want to make that metal face where you're like grimacing here, <laughs> nodding up and down with the beat. And, and this yeah. is the section of the song where you get to do that. I, I like it when they get heavy like that. And I like that riff. I think it's cool. It just feels tacked on to me where it's almost like we need to do something else. Does anyone have a riff laying around that you haven't used for anything else yet? Because it, it feels a bit, it just feels a bit tacked on to me where, it, like I said, I like the riff. And I think if you built something out around that riff rather than the fucking one we're going to get back into again, think it's more interesting i just i just don't know if that transition works very well for me Corey. you know that's kind of ironic because when i listen to seaside pod review i think that you're kind of tacked on If you're not listening to this in headphones, that panning effect, you know, right to, is so great. Like, in yeah. I, I never listened to this song on headphones, I don't think, before. So I was always missing that 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 panning effect on through the, like, oh, that was really, really cool. <laughs> Kudos, Bob Rock. All right, what else I we got? I, I don't have too much stuff. The only thing I'd written, I've got one last note, and it's at 3.35, and what I've actually written down is, no, not that fucking riff again. Uh-oh. <laughs> think it there, if we get to, if you even wind it back to about 3.33 or something, you could definitely end that end the song. There's a, there's a natural stop point that they just don't use. Okay. It, it, even a couple of little like you went, uh, uh, you could have went like a dan out, or like just something yeah. to yeah take it out right instead of back in the. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you the, yeah. I, I think the outro was kind of cool if I remember correctly. Let, let, let's just play it through and see. Whenever James uh, ends on yelling a lyric, I'm really cool with, but. It, it should have happened 40 seconds earlier. <laughs> yeah, he could have done it on that. Exactly like you said. I mean, he could have done that never there. Yep. Right on that last note. Right on that last hit. Put it in there. Yep. Yeah. Done and out. But, and, you know, minor quibbles for me, because I, I really do kind of like through the never. Uh, okay. and, and, and my uh, 
my, my score is well reflected. Musically, I gave it an eight. Because uh, I, I like that riff. It's just too much of it. <laughs> but I love the solo. And I, I love how James performs the song. Musically, it, it kind of worked for me. Lyrics, I also gave it an eight. Because I, I really kind of like the story he was telling me. All it is, was, and will be. Universe much too big to see. Time and space never ending. Disturbing thoughts. Questions pending. Everything uh, lyrically kind of worked for me. Uh, it's kind of unfocused, though. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think that's why you get that repeating riff sometimes. So I gave it a, a, a three for, for production. Uh, it still sounds cool. Uh, there's I, I love the, the little changes, the little bridges here and there. I love in the solo how we're changing octaves on the rhythm guitar. All that kind of worked for me. I love how the song ended. It just ended way too long. Uh, so I, I think three is actually my lowest score that I've given on a production of this record yet. So eight, eight, and three uh, were my scores on Through the Never uh, Kevin Brown, go ahead and, and throw some fours at me. <laughs> well, I'm starting with the four. Music, I just, I dislike that main riff so much that it just, it, and it comes in too often that it's it's hard for me to get past that, right? Hey, so, I totally get that. I just did a Van Halen you know. show where we talked about Spanked. And to me, the main thing was I don't like that riff. And that's yeah. impossible to get around, especially when they repeat it so many bloody times. So I'm not going to give you any grief for giving it a four. If you don't like the riff, this song doesn't work. Yeah, and it's this again. The solo for me is just a bit generic. Again, based on especially some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. There's a couple of solos on tracks on the, this side and next week on the next side, where I think are absolutely fantastic. So to me, it's just a bit like I know you can do better than that. I mean, I quite like the way the chorus is delivered. Like I said, the the sort of the phonetic way that he, he pronounces everything. It's all pretty cool. Lyrics. I wasn't as enamored of this one. I, I gave it a five. I think it's sort of it's one of those things like through the never. It sounds profound. But if you actually ask what it means, it fucking doesn't mean anything. It's all, what was the Cole Bear quote you said? Uh, he said, uh, what is through the never beyond the sideways? Right, yeah. which is, is just kind of highlighted that it's just a kind of a gibberish. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, you know, don't cry don't cry when it rains. Or is it don't cry when it rains? The the sky is crying for us all. Like, it doesn't fucking mean anything. It's just those <laughs> things that Instagram influencers put on their fucking... Anyway, I'm just ranting now for Corey. But... <laughs> and I, I went 2.5 for production. Kind of same same idea as you. I think the stops are jarring at the beginning. They don't seem to really do too much. Never song seems to know what it wants to be. This song, it flips from double time to half time, and it's a bit, it's just a bit disorganized. I think you know. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that ironically, one of the things that I did like was I thought Lars's drums being very 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 loud works on a song like this. Mm -hmm. So, and he was in time, and he didn't he didn't distract in a bad way. We have a song coming no. up where I think he distracts in a bad way. This isn't it, though. Oh, yes. I wonder if it's the same song that, that, that we're thinking of. This is going to be interesting. I tell you what, uh, it's not the next song. We're going to talk about one of Metallica's biggest songs of all time. And I think, you know, diehard Metallica fans, the guys who say everything after Master of Puppets is shit, they, they probably hate this. But yeah. Metallica doesn't. Uh, it's fucking, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing else matters. It's been played 1,283 <laughs> times. And it... You know, it, it went from meaning one thing to meaning something totally different to meaning everything. And I know when Metallica played this song in Saskatoon, James Hetfield on a solo spotlight just said, this one's for the Humboldt Broncos. And the whole room just hush. Because yeah. uh, folks out there probably don't know the story uh, of the Humboldt Bron Broncos, but uh, not too long ago, uh, Humboldt Broncos are an SJHL uh, junior hockey team in Saskatchewan in the city of Humboldt. They were traveling down Estevan, Saskatchewan, which is very where, where I live, very near where I live, uh, for a playoff series. They're in their in their bus, uh, and they got a team bowed by a truck who blew a stop sign, and and many of them died. 
and, and the ones that survived will never be the same. They're either, uh, you know, paralyzed or, you know, hor- horrible PTSD. Like, it was a big story that so many of these young kids uh, lost their lives. And uh, James dedicated this song to the Humboldt Broncos, and I thought it was very fitting because originally it was written about missing his girlfriend. And, and then it just became, you know, about the fans because really without the fans, nothing else matters. And then you can even take it a step further uh, and, and equate it to something like that. So uh, let's get into it. The, this is uh, 1.7 billion streams on YouTube Music. I bet you it's even more uh, on Spotify. Uh, this is Nothing Else Matters. Kevin, I don't know if you know this because you're not a big music guy, but that's an E minor arpeggio, one half step <laughs> lower on stage performances, but they performed as an E minor arpeggio, beginning with the open low E, followed by the open G, B, and high E string. It's one of those licks that I'm sure people who work in record shops or in, uh, sorry, in music shops that sell guitars <laughs> fucking hate it's stairway it, it, you it's know. stairway <laughs> it's it's the you know it's those it's it's more than words it's one of those yep. songs like oh my god don't play it. but it's a great piece of music like it's a fantastic little arpeggio that that minor thing when you just sit on that root that open e there's a reason why everyone does it is because it sounds really fucking good it's really satisfying and james plays this beautifully absolutely beautifully and it's all james there's no kirk on this song at all james does the the solo and he does all the guitars on it Oh, we're going to talk about that solo too. But what I did find interesting too is that I was reading about this, um, that it's credited to uh, James and Lars, but this is a James Hatfield solo, right? Like he basically, from what I read, he, he'd written it and wasn't really even considering this a Metallica song even. It was it, yeah. maybe it was just kind of throwing running for himself. Um, but after Lars Ulrich heard it and credit to him for that, he said, oh, no, dude, you got to sort of bring this in, right? Um, and then they worked it up. But I, I think that having him play all the guitars on this you really get that personal sense of it, it really telling the story of how he was feeling at the time, and it really comes across, right? Absolutely. Uh, here's a great quote from James about that. He said, quote, I thought that Metallica could only be the four of us. These are songs about destroying things, headbanging, bleeding for the crowd, whatever it is, as long as it wasn't about chicks and fast cars, even though that's what we liked. <laughs> the song was about a girlfriend at the time. It turned out to be a pretty big song. It was one of four demo songs recorded by the band in August 1990. And yeah, he just like was tooling about, you know, life on the road, missing your girlfriend. And yeah, it was Lars that heard it and said, yeah, we yeah, like consider this for the record. Like it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. And it became arguably uh, like sales wise and popularity wise, I think it's one of their biggest uh, by far. Well, I mean, I was looking on because you were talking about um, Spotify. So the only song that's been streamed more on Spotify is Enter Sandman. Okay. So Enter Sandman's 1.2.1.25 and this is 1.06. So you think about, you know, Spotify, it's going to be roughly the same on Apple Music, YouTube Music. You're talking about a song that's been streamed upwards of 3 billion times, which is insane. It's unreal. And they played it at the Freddie Mercury Tribute Concert.
I hear a little bit of uh, orchestral uh, music in there. That was actually composed by Michael Kamen, uh, who you might remember. If you're a film fan, Michael Kamen has done a ton of movies. Uh, Michael Kamen also uh, did the orchestrations of Metallica film uh, music for the uh, uh, live album S&M. Uh, the first okay. one. Michael Kamen is no longer with us, unfortunately. He didn't do S&M too because he had passed away. But um, if you uh, watch or listen to S&M, it's Metallica music with a full orchestra backing him up. And I, it's my wife's favorite. Like, I tried to get my wife into Metallica. And she's a, not a big heavy metal fan, but she loves S&M because she loves how the, or, the, or, the orchestra works uh, with the band. And when they do this song, obviously, it's, it blows the roof off the fucking place. But that's Michael Kamen uh, you know, conducting an orchestra underneath, and it just works so well. Well, I mean, Michael came and never makes anything worse. No, right? I mean, he came in and he did, he did the orchestration on on Wildflowers for Tom Petty, and he's done. He's worked with a bunch of acts, and it always just he always brings so much so much in because he's got such a brilliant ear for what. How do I compliment what this band's doing? I mean, this is Metallica. This is not stuff that Michael Kamen's probably listening to, but he just fundamentally understands or understood music at such a level that he just knew what part was necessary to to elevate the song. And you know, and that's the one thing I think missing from SNM too, because it wasn't Michael Kamen, and I'm I'm not sure who it was. But when I listen to those records compared to the first one, it's like there, there's something missing. It doesn't quite work as well. Michael right. Kamen just got it. And I remember uh, you called out one of your uh, shows and artists. I'm going to call out one of mine. Aerosmith did a version of Dream On with Michael Kamen doing an orchestra to it. And it yep. is by far the best version of that song ever recorded. It's on the last Action Hero soundtrack, kind of buried on a soundtrack to a, a pretty average Arnold Schwarzenegger film. But it, it's <laughs> the most wonderful piece. It's the best version of one of the greatest rock songs ever written. Couldn't agree more. This is my, it's probably going to be my only nitpick with this song is that I don't think you need to bring the snare in there. Okay. I think he's, I think Lars is overplaying that a little bit because this song builds really, really well. And there's a section in this where he plays side stick on it. So I wanted to send you a link here, Corey. I just want to play a little bit. I'm going to send you a link and you can sort of skip forward a little bit to the point in the song where I think if you put side stick in and drop some of the kick out, I think it builds better. So I did a little bit of editing today. Corey, I did. I threw stemmed everything, mm-hmm. threw it into my Adobe Audition, and uh, tried to do a little bit of a different mix. Let's see what you think. So I'm not saying exactly that, but I think if you let that simmer a little bit, if you just let that stew a little bit longer and you back those drums off, I think when you come back in, when because the orchestration builds a little bit and there's a little bit more guitar in there, I think I just think it fits better. I think that arrangement would work better for me. Well, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you there, Kevin. Uh, I listened to that and uh, it didn't work for me. I, I, I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because I've heard Nothing Else Matters a thousand times <laughs> and I'm, I'm used to that snare coming in. And when it wasn't yeah. there, I'm like... Fuck that. I don't know. That doesn't sound right. 
Even if, okay, so because the other thing I was thinking, because I just, I just cut and paste there from a different part of the song, right? If I was right. going to sit down on the drums, just don't hit the snare as hard. Because when yeah. you hit the snare a little bit gent, a little more gently, you get a, a different tone and it sounds better, but he's really hitting that snare. How about a brush? Like he's really laying into it. Or a brush could work, yeah. Just But just something different tonally, I think, would just, I think it would just, fit better with the way the song's building. That's my only, literally my only sort of gripe with this song. Maybe I just so. don't like the rim hit on the snare. Maybe maybe that's it. Cause I've, I've never been a big fan of that, but I, I, I can get behind like a, 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 a smaller hit on the snare or a brush or something like that. Sure. What I'm saying is you're a terrible letter. <laughs> I've got more for you later on. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Fuck. Fuck! Hey, remember uh, previous shows on this record? I talked about James wanting to sing uh, for the mm-hmm. like, like the first time. He's singing here, and he may not have like the the perfect vibrato or any kind of horseshit like that. But th- th- this is somebody with a pleasing tone, singing very earnestly from the heart, and it it works. And lyrically, I love it. So close, no matter how far, couldn't be much more from the heart. Forever trusting who we are, and nothing else matters. That's poetry, motherfucker. It's a great lyric. It's beautiful. Like I said, I mean, it's beautifully sung. I mean, I don't know what else you would want from this, right? Because, okay, I mean, if Roy Orbison sings that line, I don't think, well, not in that music, it wouldn't work, but it, I don't know how you sing that any better. He's singing it in his normal singing voice. He's not pushing. He's not affecting his voice or trying to be sort of kooky or sort of throw any kind of, you know, stupid thing on there. He's just singing it. Like you said, it's, it's completely honest and raw. And I do wonder if how hard that was for him to do. I wonder if it was difficult to sort of, I wonder if there are takes where he was trying to be a bit more forceful and Bob Rock said, no, just sing it really, just sing it very, very simply and plain because that's where the emotion comes across. I think you're 100% right. I, I think that was probably the the, the case because uh, James famously kind of fought with Bob Rock over the vocals on this record, right? You want to hear it a certain way? Well, then you fucking sing it because yeah. he was tired, right? But that was Bob Rock getting him out of his you know shell a little bit. You know, James suffers from you know social anxiety and you know, it's one thing to get up on stage and screams, hit the lights. Like, that's one thing. Yeah. To get out there and sing a, a tender kind of love song, uh, you know, to, j- just you and a guitar at, at this point with, you know, Lars bashing away and being too loud, according to Kevin. But, uh, you know, he, he's actually singing. And I, I really love James when he's singing. Couldn't agree more, mate. So I wanted to ask you specifically, because you're a Lars hater, uh, what did you think about what Lars was doing there? Because there was a couple of Tom hits where I was kind of like, that sounds off. Like, and, and that's a minor nitpick. Uh, I didn't mind what the end role he kind of went on there. That was fine. Yeah. But uh, never cared for what they know. I think there was like a, a couple little Tom hits. It's like, did, did you have to do that? I don't mind them musically because I think they do fit. Um, yeah. Is it overplaying? Maybe a little bit. But that's Lars, right? I think you just sort of... And it's funny because in this song later on, he does... He goes side stick and he really backs everything off. So I'm, I'm a little bit more... A little bit more forgiven of it because I think with the build... And this orchestration, how the orchestra builds here is just... Oh, amazing. Fabulous, right? Um, so I don't mind it. 
I mean, again, like you're talking about some of the Tom hits where they're placed. He, you know, he is a bit sloppy here. And I don't always, I don't always fucking hate that because I love the Who and Keith Moon. You know, if he was on the one now and again, that's that's the best you could hope for with Keith, <laughs> right? So whatever, because it's all attitude. So I don't mind that necessarily. And I think it gives, I think it fits the personality of this song. So it's one of the few songs that I I really don't have any, and I'm not Lars bashing in this, apart from that, like I said, the volume on the on the intro, yeah. what he's playing, the notes he's selected, I think is one of his best efforts. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I just put it in there because yeah. I wanted to get your, your thought on it. There's another section where he does kind of an unnecessary Tom hit. Uh, that I, I want to get your your call on, but we're not there yet. Yeah. I, uh, my next one was three hundred one. There's some orchestration going into the first solo. Okay. That 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 tone that, that was oh man oh. I mean it's it's pure Dave Gilmore right I mean it's just beautiful God I I couldn't put my finger on it but you just did Dave Gilmore absolutely yeah. but talk about playing something that fits the song it, it's not oh. Ingve Malmsteen look how many notes I can play oh, fuck no I hate that shit perfect 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 and it's funny because you know and I'd written and see Lars does know how to play a song stick. Right? So first time I've heard him do it. And he's playing but, the I, I know you were you're laughing at me because he was playing on the rim there. Like I, just because he's doing it doesn't mean I like it anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> but it was that thing that I didn't like. You said I mean you know James Hetfield's influence. He was a huge Queen fan. He was a huge, yep. huge rock and roll fan. All these kinds of things. Where when you hear that lick. It's like fuck. This guy's got really good blues chops. It's a little wow. little Joe Perry, little Brian May mixed in there too, yeah. right? Yeah, just gorgeous. I mean, it's such a great little lick, and like you said, it's just tossed in right at the end in that transition piece. And that was and the it Brian makes May it part. So much more impactful. Yeah, yeah, a little. Oh fuck, so so good. Never Right, so uh, a, a different play on the on the chorus, so it's not too repetitive. He's yeah. building it, and then you get a classic James. Yeah, yeah, I know you weren't a fan coming into this season of the Jamesisms, the 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 way he over enunciates the last syllable and the yeah yeahs. Come on, like that is just so fucking good. It's perfect where he's put it too, right? Yeah, because the end and the other thing that too, like, I gotta say, like Lars gets that exactly fucking right. He plays exactly yep. what the song needs there. And when you've got that, that he's coming off the, you know, he's, he's alternating the the one for the kick and the snare, which he likes to do, works perfectly there. And then you get that yeah, yeah on the end of that. Fantastic moment in the song. So, I mean, it's just perfect. All right. We're going to take it from here because it's just too good.
how good is that that little noodling at the end as it's fading out and the, his other guitars coming in? They near 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 just little accent done it's, so so I mean, well. It, I, I I just like I said when I listen to that and when I well I mean it's funny right because I didn't know it was um, James until I did the research for this episode. But of course it is, because Kirk Hammett doesn't play that way, and Kirk Hammett's a brilliant guitarist. He just does not play. It's, you know, it's the same thing you do on your Backtracks Aerosmith show. There's a big difference between the way Joe Perry plays and the way that um, Tom, oh my Lord, uh, Brad Tom, Whitford. Ham- Tom Hamilton no, plays. They just, they, Tom, no, Tom's Tom a bit. <laughs> Brad Whitford. <laughs> Brad Whitford, that's the guy. But they sound different, and you can tell them apart a lot of the time. Now, those two are both, blo- more, you know, they're more like this. They're more bluesy guys, both of them. But it's a that's a superb piece of guitar playing i think i mean it's so well constructed and he's obviously sat down and figured that out that's not just shredding that's not just kind of playing off the cuff that's figuring out the part and it's very melodic it's just beautiful like i just i love that solo it's fantastic yeah and then my nitpick is there was you know unnecessary tom hits going into that solo that that kind of when, when you're i've heard this song a thousand times but listening to it today with the headphones on it's like okay that's not necessary so, like, that that's something you were really good at pointing at Lars and saying, you know, he's overplaying. Going into that solo a little bit, a little bit. Again, minor, minor, minor nitpicks. I love Nothing Else Matters, but. And- Can you wind it back, Corey? Because I don't remember. And that's the thing where I would say that it definitely didn't bother me because I don't remember it. I don't remember sort of picking up on that, so. You bet. I'm going to take it right back to the beginning. We'll just see if we can hear it. You bet. Never care. Maybe it was right there. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of like you know, he's doing the ratata. He's doing the ratata thing. Again. Yeah, I mean that's you know Go- going into the solo. I, I was okay with it, uh, but so quick after that to, to come in yeah. with something, it's like okay, now that that seems a little uh, a little unnecessary. But again, minor fair. nitpick. That's fair. Minor nitpick. That's his best vocal performance, I think, of the song. And also, I love two things about that. It's when he sings who we are, and he does it all on the same note, where before he will, he'll, the last note comes up, right? Yep. So that change, it makes the, it makes that line sound more... Poignant? I don't know, pensive or yeah, poignant like, or whatever, yeah. whatever. Pick your sort of verb, but or your adjective, sorry, but it it, it just makes that last verse that the last iteration you know of course like i said but um and i love the you know the, the switch to from and nothing else matters to no nothing else matters it's the finality of it right yeah. it really is just sort of draws a line under it no nothing else matters it's quite fatalistic and and quite sad it, like it's heart-wrenching you know and it's just, again lyrically vocally he just gets everything right in this song yeah now the outro goes on for another 45 seconds so you can make uh, the nitpicky argument, maybe it's a tad too long. Nah. No? No, because it's so beautiful. I fucking love it. I would listen to that. I'm listening playing that. And again, he, he doesn't go into the full piece, the, the structure that he was playing in the intro. 
so you get this sort of sense of time dwindling away and i think it's actually i think that ending and that sort of length in the ending is really actually important for the song because it really emphasizes no nothing else matters mm-hmm. and then you'll have to just sort of drift off so to me i love it you know you know me Corey. i like trimming things down you know quite often unless it's tony banks keyboard solos but <laughs> this one i'm on board with the length with this 629 and it doesn't feel over long to me it really doesn't and uh was there a radio edit of this? I'm trying to think. I don't think there was. I think it was always just 628, like 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 all the way through. And it, it really needs to be. The video is great, by the way, too. It was just uh, clips of them from the year and a half in the Life of Metallica documentary. But you, you totally get it, because at the time, that's what that song was about. And now they've kind of amended it to being just about our fans, because without the fans, truly nothing else matters. Well, that's that universality that good lyric writers have, right? Is They write it about one thing, but they make it, broad enough that you can take it as a listener and apply it to whatever sort of emotion or angle that you get from it. Like, I mean, you know, I, on my Tom Petty, pro, I get that all the time with Petty. He does that so well. And this, again, an example of James Hetfield just nailing that side of songwriting. All right. So what are your final scores on Nothing Else Matters? Well, 10 for music. I mean, that arpeggiated lick is phenomenal. It's long. Like, it's 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 a long intro. It's a, it's a minute, right? The intro is a minute. And... Corey, don't you miss intros? Remember when in- yeah. songs had intros? Yeah. Pop songs, songs that were released in the charts had intros. Um, fantastic. I love that middle instrumental part. His solo's fantastic. Um, I was going to ask you, though, too quickly, does he does he do that in the catalog very often, where he plays the solo and it's a bit bluesier? Or... No, no, rarely ever. Uh, okay. I- I'm trying to think if there's another song that, I think the only other song that uh, Kurt wasn't on uh, was one of the the, the the Cliff songs from from way back was, when. They call it Anesthesia, wasn't it? Oh, Anesthesia, yeah. Pulling Teeth, yep. Yeah, uh, the, and that, that was a big uh, big Cliff song. So yeah, that was the only other song Kirk wasn't on. And and James is not known as a lead guy, right? He's one of the better rhythm guitar players in rock, but he never ever, you know, takes the lead. And he does here. And it, actually, I, mean, I, I think Kirk said it, it took him like halfway through the tour before he learned how to play Nothing Else Matters because he didn't play on the <laughs> album. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I wish he would play more because he's. I think that when you've got that compliment between two guitarists in a band, because Kurt can play, we can play rhythm. He can play a rhythm part if, oh, if yeah. you know if, if James is going to play the lead. Yeah. I'd love to hear more of that because he's very, very good. I mean, okay, I suppose not knowing the Metallica catalog, if you've not got many of these sort of bluesier, ballady type songs, well, then yeah, if it's a shredder, if you've got sort of a fast paced thing, then you're gonna, of course you're going to trust Kirk with that. Mm-hmm. But anything like this, like a, James Hetfield's just shown that he can play lead guitar. Absolutely. Um, lyrics 10. Again, I mean, I don't, they're very simple. They're not complex lyrics, but they're very direct, very plaintive. They fit perfectly. And most importantly for me, I believe every single word he says. There's no contrivance in this. It's not forced. He's not showing off. It's not, you know, it, it's just a very honest lyric. And I, I really relate to that. I think it's fantastic. Production, 4.5. And again, I, I guess I think it was on um, last week. I can't remember which song it was, but I said, if you said, come on, Kevin, it's a five, I'd go, yeah, okay, I'd be fine with that. And again, the only nitpick is, I just think that that, that snare is so loud when it's still very gentle at the beginning. I think you could just do something differently there. And it might not be my side stick, Corey. You don't like my side stick idea. But the brush is, <laughs> or just drop the volume on the snare or the, or the velocity hits with. But I think if you did that, then you create a song that's, flawless in, in my opinion so okay so how about you what's your what are your scores uh two for no uh 
Corey hates a ballad, folks. He's got a heart of stone. <laughs> uh, nine and a half for music. Uh, you, you, and it's just minor, minor fucking nitpicks. And it, j- yeah. just a couple of a little uh, runs here from, from Lars, I think that, that kind of dropped me literally just half a point because everything James is doing is perfect. Everything uh, Jason Newstead is doing is perfect. We don't talk about the bass, but, you know, he's doing exactly what the song is doing. Do, 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 do. Like, he's just, just playing along, and, and you can actually hear the bass, which is kind of nice, which we don't get on Injustice for All. So I get a nine and a half for music. Lyrics, nine and a half. I, I docked it just a half a part. Uh, sorry, half a mark, just a little bit for uh, repetitiveness. Just may- maybe just a little bit, but uh, yep. n- never cared for what they do, never cared for what they know. Uh, that's repeated maybe one too many times for me before they get into never care for what they say. If they would have, you know, maybe changed it up a little bit earlier, yeah. but literally just fucking nitpicking. And then production five. So uh, c- kind of what you uh, docked it for in production, I kind of docked it for in music. I gave production five because I think the song is the exact length it needs to be. Uh, sonically, it's amazing. Uh, James sings the fuck out of this. And again, my whole point of Metallica was I want Kevin to appreciate James Hetfield just a little bit more than he does now. Because before you do the impression, oh, James Hetfield, ah. oh, he's going to the store, ah. get some milk, ah. and I hear you doing that on Seaside. I'm like, fuck you, and fuck your <laughs> fucking fuck. <laughs> because James Hetfield deserves a lot more goddamn respect than that, and he is fucking great on here. I have. I'm not going to say 180, but I'm definitely past 90 degrees on on Hetfield. I really am. Like I, I, I get what it is now that he's doing, which I didn't before. I just heard the fucking nah. I just I was like, fuck off, man. Come on, really? Is that all that goes? It's like Axel Rose's eye eye. Okay. I just don't like that. If you've got a thing where you have to, this crutch that you got to lean on, you must take just don't kind of cry. Vocalist. You must take don't cry because that's eye eye eye. Oh my eye, god! Eye. I, yeah, I really, I generally don't like that song, <laughs> but I think where Axel leans on it because he just genuinely isn't a great vocalist i think hetfield is a very good vocalist and i think he's doing it to he's putting it in for emphasis so yep. i've definitely i've come around man like on, on james I've, I've come around a long 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 way i got a question for you Corey, on this too i was just thinking about this as we were talking on the drums i wonder whether i wonder whether it's necessarily exactly what lars is playing for both of us and where he's playing it or whether it's what he's playing when it's combined with the tone because he's playing heavy metal sounding drums. Put Joey Kramer's tone on this. I wonder then if that changes the feel of the song, because then you've got a bit more of that bluesy swagger thing going, where if you sort of have a bit more reverb on the snare and you sort of tone it back a little bit, I wonder if that would change our opinion on that. That'd be interesting to hear. That is interesting because I'm thinking about Joey Kramer ballads and you, you look at something like What It Takes, and I totally get your point. And I think that works. But you li- listen to a song like Angel, he's still doing like the big drums on angel kind of like yeah. what lars is doing here and maybe that's why i like what it takes a little bit more than i do angel <laughs> oh, but but if you think about crying though or, or amazing amazing would be a better amazing, example yeah. because that's the same sort of thing that this is well yeah. not quite but but intersonically i think that if you take that production aesthetic on the drums there where you've got because this is a bluesy song like it plays a bluesy lick it's got this arpeggio in there it's more related to the blues than it is heavy metal but you've got heavy metal drums so maybe that's what it is that's really maybe that's the thing that's just a bit jarring that is a really cool point. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, that totally makes sense. And that that's why I gravitate because Joey Kramer is is a good example too, because he's played big drums on a ballad on Angel and it was a big hit for him and stuff. But yeah, it, it, it's kind of forgotten. It's kind of like okay, yeah, Angel, it, it was okay and all that. But a song like What It Takes kind of becomes iconic. Amazing is kind of iconic. 
and yeah. it, it fits a little bit more. And and there's moments in this song where he does like when he hits the tom, it's like that's that's it's too much. Dun dun dun, like that that second yeah. dun. It's like I don't know. It just sounds off uh, in a yeah. way. Maybe because I'm conditioned to listening to more Joey Kramer, but really, really uh, insightful. I'm shocked that came from you. I'm off the cuff too. I didn't even write that down. Wow. <laughs> Is Randy Woods like feeding you notes off screen or something? Just stay there. Just don't. Talk. No, no, no. He's not. No, if Randy, it was Randy, no, he'd, no, no. he'd be giggling like some sort of schoolgirl <laughs> right now because that's all he does on podcasts now is just laugh at his own brilliance. <laughs> Fuck! Oh, my. I love it. <laughs> all right. We got one more track left on side C of the Black Album. Uh, this was played. 264 times a little bit of a contrast between 1,283 times this was 264 (laughs) times this is a little track called of wolf and man That guitar intro, eh, eh. did you get home by the sea vibes from that? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but better. No. I, was like, I, was like, I was like, fuck, that's the same tone. That's kind of cool. I like that. Awesome. Maybe they listen to Genesis. Like they, like we said, their influences were varied, right? Maybe they got yeah. that from that. But uh, for a song about a werewolf, that's all, that uh, starts off pretty fucking good. It's great, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I found a quote from Bob Rock about, you want to write a song about a wolf? He said, quote, I'll be honest. At first, I thought it was silly to write about a wolf. I was like, oh, great. A song about a wolf. What are you fucking getting at? May as well write about pyramids or something. <laughs> he goes, when metal goes into these kind of areas, I lose the plot. So he must not like Iron Maiden then. He goes, then as we get more into James' lyrics, I realized that the song was silly. And there was an earthiness to it. We talked about making the song go through a transformation, kind of, kind of uh, reflecting of the lyrics. It took a while. I'm not sure we got there fully. But we got there most of the way. And it's that transformation. That's why I thought werewolf when I first, because off through the new days, mist I run. Off from the new days, mist I have come. I hunt, therefore I am. Harvest the land, taken of the fallen lamb. I, I get really big werewolf vibes from this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because I read that same Bog <laughs> Brock thing. It's like, you, then you, you clearly you don't like heavy metal because, I mean, there's <laughs> fucking werewolves and pyramids All and over goblins the place. and gremlins All and dragons everywhere in heavy metal. Like, come on. <laughs> Not a big fan of um, Led Zeppelin, I'm going to guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Whereas to me, this is the perfect subject matter for a heavy metal song, right? Transforming. Absolutely. And it's something different too, because, you know, one of my preconceptions of Metallica was it was all about sort of, you know, death and kind of trying to be cool and just like, yeah, fuck, I I can listen to that, but for only so long. But when you get something like this, like, okay, we've got Nothing Else Matters, which was this plaintive, earnest thing, and now we're getting into werewolves. I'm into this. I like this variation, this difference in it. It's like, all right, I'm okay. I'm good with this now. So you're talking about how much you appreciated uh, James and his, uh, not so much his rhyming scheme, but how the uh, pentameter kind of works 
and, and how he yeah. puts the words together right, perfect. Right? Yeah, After I mean, the it's new rhythmic. Days, yeah, like, it, it works so well, and, and that's something, like you mentioned, Tom Petty does so well. Scott Haskin will disagree because he hates Tom Petty, and I hate <laughs> Scott for it. But, you know, Tom Petty does it well. I think James Hetfield does it just as good. Yeah, man, I mean, and again, this is what I think, adding that little licking, because it's the same, if you've got that, it's, just chug, it's a bit chugga-chugga, you know, whatever, that's okay, it's a heavy metal song. Yep. But that's what they don't do in Through the Never, is they don't add something in to just kind of, just make, you know, sort of fill it out a little bit. And that's what I was like, you know, Guns N' Roses, as much as I sort of struggle with Axl Rose's voice, the stuff that Slash puts in around what Izzy Stradlin's playing on rhythm, just the little noodly little licks, that's what makes that band, that's what makes it interesting. And when they do it here on this song, same thing. It's got a good effect. And you called out perfectly uh, Guns N' Roses. The problem with Guns N' Roses right now is Izzy Stradlin is not in the band. <laughs> Show me one good song they wrote when Izzy, after Izzy left. Oh, there isn't one. There's just not one. I, I, I don't know if there is, yeah. Good call. No. I, I'm Fuck so sad this isn't me. a video uh, podcast right now because Kevin lost his ever-loving shit. Fuck! That is one of the worst fucking drum fills I've ever heard in my life, and I'm not exaggerating for effect. I'm not being... It makes me so angry it's not that good. he did that. It's not good. It's awful, but I was, before that, before we get into that, I've got another little link to send you. I'll do that as I'm talking here, but um, I love that. the back When he sings Back to the Meaning, that back to the... And he growls it, and then he sings it. Because when you do consider this about being a werewolf, to me, that's the the wolf and the man both saying the same thing. It's sort of the animal self and the developed self both sort of come into a single point. I think that's a bloody excellent piece of songwriting. You hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, it's back to the meaning. Back to the meaning. I, I should yeah. Do, here, I, I, I should do my uh, my monster. Back to the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> now do the high pitch one for the other one. Back to the meaning. <laughs> oh, this new toy is the best thing ever, Corey. I'm having so much fun with this goddamn thing. It's so great. I think it's fucking stock. No, it's not. Part of that is unclear to you. Oh, shut up, Lars. <laughs> shut up, Lars. Fuck off. He's in the background just telling me everything's stock. This is going to be great because we can argue with Lars at will. <laughs> Anytime we want, we can have an argument with Lars. That's right. You're just sitting here being a complete dick. Yeah, Lars, just shut up. <laughs> just shut up. Just fucking sit there and eat your Mars bar, whatever you want to do. You know what, you guys? Why don't we just go in there and just hammer it out, all right, instead of hammering on each other? Thank you, Kirk. Yes. Lukewarm water. Let's just stop hammering on each <laughs> oh, other. Oh, Lord. Why can't we all just get along? So I just want you to reverse it just a wee bit and play that fill again, Corey. Because, again, I mean... Oh, I, do I, I have to? I know it, it gets a bit <laughs> stayed and a bit sort of repetitive for me. Keep ragging on Lars, but that fill is so bad. Yeah. And so I kind of, I tried to fix it in a little edit, edit, but just listen to it one more time. Okay. It's the first half of it's great. But then he does this weird, he tries to play this kind of role that he fucks completely. And I just can't believe Bob Rock left that in. It's amazing to me that he left that in. <laughs> oh, 
my god, it strips the enamel from your teeth. It's so bad. I, I, it's almost like he slipped and like the drumsticks fell out of his hands <laughs> and he was just hitting the toms with his <laughs> paws or something. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, like you said, it started fine and then it would just devolved into. It just fell apart. So if you play, I've just sent you that link. So I, yep. I put in where I think because there's a bit that when it comes out of this solo, he starts doing the the double hit on the snare with the cymbal, which is cool. And I think he could have started that in this drum fill. So I, that's what I did. Okay. Oh, that's much better. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Or even, even just double what he just played. Yeah. Like, that would have been fine. Yeah. Instead just of anything but what he did. Like, I, I make that noise when the sticks fly out of my hand, and I'm like, like <laughs> oh. So here's, here's an exercise for you folks listening at home. If you want to learn how to play that fill, what you do is you go get your all your stock pots, stand at the top of your stairs, and just fucking hurl them down the stairs and record it. That's basically what that is. For, for me, it doesn't cut it, you know. Thank you, Torben. It just didn't cut it. <laughs> Awful. All right, for me, this is the solo that doesn't work. Like, uh, melodically, it doesn't work. The The theme of the song, it doesn't work. Yep. Whatever the fuck Lars is doing, it, it just doesn't work. It's, again, it's sort of, because you'd said earlier, I can't remember which song it was or, or which episode, first or the second episode, where Kirk started just trusting his instincts to sort of riff off the cuff rather than composing his souls. I think that that's not always a, a good idea. Because... Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of the stuff that we're going to do um, next week that are definitely sort of composed and written and thought about and worked out that are really good. And then they're also combined with little bits of wing in it. This one to me is just like, again, it's just so, it's just so generic. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit about that solo. I don't, you can't hum it. I don't, you know what I mean? It's just, it, it, it's, it's just Yngwie a bit Malmsteen. of noodling. It's Ingve Malmsteen. Like, it doesn't yeah. fit the song, doesn't fit the mood. It doesn't make a shit ton of sense. It's like, look, I, I, I can noodle. Blah, 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 blah. Look how many notes I can play. Yeah, and, and then Lars is doing something completely different that that, that doesn't fit. It, it's the anti-Van Halen, whereas Alex and Eddie are completely in lockstep on every single song. These guys couldn't be further apart. Oh, next week it gets way fucking worse. Way, <laughs> way, way worse next week. Trust me. Well, let's not ruin. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert for next week. I, I wanted to go to 258 next, if that's cool with you. Here's where the song gets me back because that's such a cool, like, horror movie vibe to it, right? And, and you hear these voices in the background, these kind of, you know, dismembered voices, and and, yeah. and everything the band is doing fits that vibe here. So it lost me in the solo and then totally gets me back right here. 
Do you think that this is what Bob Rock was talking about, though? When, if you think, you know, if, he, if they come in and say, this is what we're going to do in this section, I can all like, fucking what, werewolf howling? And fucking what, really? <laughs> and you know my thoughts, like I talked about the spoken word thing on Into Sandman, which really puts me off. Here, I think it's, again, it's, it's perfect here. Oh, I was going to ask you about that, because, yeah, we have a spoken word section coming up here, and I know you hated Enter Sandman for no reason. I was curious <laughs> if you hated this one, too. I like it here, and, and like you said, it's so cinematic and theatrical, right? You can you can see the full moon, you can oh, see yeah. the mist, you can see the moors, you can see the wolf kind of loping along. Like it just, it's very physical. It's like a physical piece of music that puts you in the scene. It's very very cool. I love it, He's and it's something about... that you haven't heard Metallica do to this point either. No, something very very different, right? Absolutely, I feel the change back to a better day. Air stands on the back of my neck, and wildness is the preservation of the world. Like, oh, cool shit, cool cool shit. Yep. Love that. That's pretty good. That's how you end a song, man. Like, there's some, that's it. You know, I, I fucking hate weak sauce endings to songs. Like, it's just, <laughs> come on, really? That's how you end a song, especially heavy metal songs. Great. No, I, I, I totally agree. So, uh, of Wolf and Man, played 264 uh, times. Uh, I'll go first on this one. Um, I was expecting a bit more, uh, to be honest with you. Like, lyrically, I thought it was pretty cool. Musically, it's pretty cool. Uh, it just, yeah, just, just not enough. And actually, I put cool intro. Uh, on my notes here, but expecting a bit more. Musically, I gave it a 7.5. Uh, I don't know. I, the subject matter, I, I thought, unlike Bob Rock, I think it really works uh, in favor of a band like Metallica. And it, it just didn't quite uh, work for me. So 7.5. 7.5 yeah. for lyrics as well. Um, again, James is really, really good. I totally get what he's going for. Could have maybe done just a little bit more. I just felt a little underwhelmed. And then uh, uh, production, I gave it 3.5. So uh, definitely above average, but not perfect. Uh, there, there were just little moments where, do you have to repeat this section? D d does it have to be uh, kind of like this? Uh, just little nitpicks here and there kind of added up to a 3.5. So I was 7.5, yeah. 7.5, 3.5 on Of Wolf and Man. Uh, what were your scores on this one? We are really close on this one. Oh. I think we haven't been that close, actually, on some of these songs. There's not been a song where we've been sort of a half-point difference anywhere, but... Well, Nothing Else I think Matters, we well, were pretty close. Nothing Else Matters, yeah, I think we were. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But this one, I think if we added up cumulatively, I think we're at the same thing. We're just, we're a half-point difference on two different places. Uh, music, seven. I basically like all the sections of the song. It's fairly middle ground. You know, it's it's not blowing my socks off, and it's an album track. It's not ever going to be a single, right. but I enjoy listening to it. Not a huge fan of Kirk's solo, but it's not yeah. terrible yeah. or something that spoils my enjoyment of it. Um, I just have to, I definitely have to dock marks for that. Just one of the worst fills in Christendom, you know? I think it's fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you? <laughs> it's, that is, we're going to do that for the rest of this um, season, and it's never going to not be funny to me. It's always going to make me laugh. <laughs> uh, lyrics, I went 7.5. I think like you, the solid, I think it's one of those situations where I think I don't think he completely committed to it. And I do wonder if Bob Rock, you know, because Bob Rock wasn't keen on it, whether James sort of pulled it back a little bit. But I think that, you know, shapeshift, nose to the wind, shapeshift feeling I've been, that's really cool because I, to me, what I'm interpreting from that is you're getting two different POVs there, right? Mm -hmm. So shapeshift, nose to the wind is the wolf. Shapeshift, feeling I've been is after you transform back and that's the man. So I think it's, it's a very good idea. 
I think it could, like you said, I think it just could have been built out a little bit more and, and maybe just worked up a bit more. But in fairness, that's something Tony Banks failed at on the mouse song uh, in season one where he was shifting yeah. POVs and it was, and it sucked like really, really fucking hard. Like, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> I, I, I won't do it. You yet. turn that off right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works. It, it could work better. Uh, yeah. And I, I know we have a song coming up where James is just like, fuck it. It's the last song on the record. I'm just going to kind of, you know, throw whatever I got. Uh, we'll get to that next week. Almost a little bit of this here. Like, you know, give him another week. And he would have, yeah. I think, figured this one out a little bit more. I think so too. In production four for me, because I think it's locked in. Like, it's, I don't think it's too long. I think all the transitions work. Um, it ends well, you know, and I can't say there's anything wrong with the production, maybe other than I probably should just have made Lars redo that, Phil. <laughs> you know, just fucking how you're a produ- how as a producer do you hear that and think, yeah, sure, that, that sounds good. Maybe I mean, you know, we've watched the we we both watched the year and a half and laugh. Maybe Bob Rock was just like, fuck this. I'm fucking going home. Leave it as it is. I just couldn't give a shit anymore. There are Maybe so many point times. Like, let Lars oh, have it then. Fuck him. I bet you you're right because there's so many times he's like, I'm just, <laughs> he says it in the documentary. I'm just sick of arguing. Just whatever the fuck you want. Why yeah. did you hire me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that you're 100% right. And I've never said that about you ever. <laughs> I probably never will again. Yeah. So overall for me, Corey, um, music seven. Lyric 7.5 and production 4. Again, like I was surprised with the main production problem I have with this album is Lars's drum volume. But again, I think most of the production choices were good. There's just a bit of reining in needs to be done with a little Danish twat. So yeah, 7, 7.5 and 4, which is 18.5 overall. And that's brought up by Nothing Else Matters and kind of held a little bit back by... But again, I've had like... There's one song on this side that I love, one song that I like... But it's kind of an album track, and I'm okay with it. And the one song that I just think is a bit eh. So it's a three for three, three album sides, three the same kind of structure for my my votes. So, that is yeah. amazing. That that is yeah. And I, I was kind of the same way. My uh, side C totals are eight for music, eight for lyrics, and three point five for production. So I was actually a little lower than you. So you were eighteen and a half out of twenty five. I was nineteen and a half out of twenty five. So side C, uh, I'm at seventy eight percent. You're at seventy four percent. So we're actually really close on side C. Yeah. Love it. All right, it's time for the big four. That's right. We're going to go to our uh, Spotify uh, listens game that we have here. Uh, We're going to compare Metallica to three other bands, and Kevin has to try and rank them from uh, highest to lowest. Who has the most monthly Spotify listeners? So, of course, we have Metallica. I had to pick three more bands. So I, 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 I picked three bands that I actually considered for season two of the catalog clash okay you have to compare and tell me your rankings of the spotify listeners of metallica bon jovi the police and acdc holy shit this is gonna be you fucker this is (laughs) i did like you went four for four on the first one i'm hoping hoping to trip you up here a little bit okay well We've definitely done the police before because that's been one of mine. I'm not going to go look at my notes, but okay. I kind of think I remember roughly where they were at. Bon Jovi are a huge band. I don't know if they're as big as Metallica right now because I think Metallica got a huge kick from Stranger Things, Master of Puppets, and all that kind of stuff. Good call. And ACDC, of course, are always just a quintessential rock band that everyone just listens to. So here's what I'll do. I'll go, I'm going to go Metallica 1. 
I'm gonna go. Fuck me. Police four, I'm pretty sure. And then it's between fucking Bon Goofy and ACDC. So I'm gonna go. <laughs> oh, man. Against my better judgment, and I've second guessed myself here, I'm gonna go Metallica, Bon Jovi, ACDC, the police. So in that order, you're going Metallica first? Yeah. Okay, what's second? Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Okay, third is? ACDC. ACDC, and four is? The police. The police. You got one right. The police. Nope. ACDC. Really? ACDC is number one. 27,558,000. Number two, Bon Jovi. 26,299,000. That's the one you got right. The world is a cesspool. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, the police. 26,204,000. Wow, I misremembered that badly then. Wow. And number four, Metallica. 24,513,000. I wanted to get bands that were close together. And they're all really close. Like Bon Jovi and the police are both at 26 million. They're separated by literally 80-some thousand listeners. <laughs> That's a dirty pool, man. Isn't Come on. Some... Like, hey, I wasn't close though anyway, but yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the police were in 13. I'm just totally misremembered that then. Yeah, no, 26 that, million, 204,000. That, that brings my faith in humanity back up a little bit that people are still listening to the best power trio of all time. Sorry, Chaz. Oh. ZZ Sorry. Top, ZZ Top. ZZ Top. I think the police, man. Five albums, in and out. I know, five I know. albums, but two are good. Five are good. <laughs> well, <laughs> five are not bad. Uh, <laughs> I can pick out way more ZZ Top records. And check my new ZZ Top podcast coming out soon. Uh... <laughs> Come on, on the spot. ZZ Top podcast pun. Jesus just left the podcast. Fuck, he does. I mean, <laughs> ridiculous. You should rent yourself out to parties. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Literally, I, I and I'm sure there's a better one out there, but I don't know. That, that was because Jesus just left Chicago. I don't know. And that's one of my favorite. <laughs> it's one of my favorite ZZ Top songs. So. <laughs> okay, you know what? We should wrap this up, Corey, because we've got uh, one more side of this album to do next week. So, you know what? We'll say. Well said to everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, Join us again next week when we look at the last side of this massive album. Uh, Come check us out on social media at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter. And I've kind of forgotten where we are on Blue Sky. I think we're You Catalog Clash on Blue Sky. Um, Check out my other shows, The Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. If you want to find me on Twitter personally, I'm at Kev Brown Canada. Come yell at me. Come tell me why I'm wrong about Metallica. Tell me why I'm wrong about Lars. Corey, where can the people find you online and what should they shout at you? Uh, please don't shout anything. Uh, actually, I'm I'm very sensitive. Please, you, you'll make me cry. But you can find me at CD Morset uh, on Twitter uh, and I think Instagram. I don't post pictures anymore. I'm not on the the, the blue sky thing. Uh, I I think someone has to invite me or give me a fucking code. I don't know. I'm not on that goddamn thing yet. Uh, but you can find me at CD Morset on on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook too if you want to yell at me there. And uh, I do two other shows. I do uh, and the podcast will rock with the one and only Mark Kameyer. Uh, breaking down the Van Halen catalog. We're now 20 songs away from finishing the catalog. So check us out there. And I'd also do a little show called Backtracks. Aerosmith revisited with the sexiest man in podcasting, Scott Haskin. Oh my God. He's just, he lathers himself in baby oil now when he does the shows. And it's just, it's impossible <laughs> to concentrate. The, the, he's so dreamy. He he is something. I, I, I tell you, it's just, it's impossible to concentrate, but we're going through the entire Aerosmith catalog. We're endeavoring to compile the ultimate Aerosmith mixtape. So uh, join us on that show and uh, 
I, I bet you James Hetfield would like it because he's a huge Aerosmith fan. Rocks is one of his uh, favorite albums of all time. So uh, if it's good enough for James, it's good enough for you. Damn it. So come join us on Backtracks Aerosmith Revisit. Okay, folks. Join us next week for the final side of Metallica. Bye-bye.